Welcome to Profiles, a three-part podcast that dives deep into the lives of promotional products professionals. Profiles is brought to you by Americana. When you need American-made, you need Americana. And with free 24-hour rush service, you'll get it fast. Americana, jar openers, coasters, mouse pads, chamois towels, and more. Hello and welcome to the first edition of Promo Quarter's new podcast, Profiles, where we'll be talking with longtime industry professionals about their experiences and their take on the promotional products world today. I'm your host, Steve Woodburn. Now, it was truly a tough choice to decide who to interview first, given the scores of people who've spent the majority of their lives in this business. After much consideration, though, we chose someone many of you may already know personally— Or you might have attended one of the dozens of classes he's taught over the years on a variety of topics, or perhaps have purchased from the company he began in his home in 1986. He was inducted into the PPAI Hall of Fame in 2017 and was a key player in the formation of the Specialty Advertising Association of Greater New York, known as SAGNY. His name is Joel Schaefer, and as is the case with most of us, prior to his entry into this business, he had no idea what advertising specialties were. I got into this business just at the time I was graduating college, and my entire life was coming to order. I was uh, I was graduating in mid-year in January. Uh, I was going to go to law school. I had a career that would be st- started uh, in, on Wall Street, working in a stock exchange company during the day, law school at night. M- my original plan was to be the next Bernie Madoff. And uh, it didn't happen that way. So uh, I wound up uh, becoming a school teacher during the, during the height of the uh, Vietnam War. Uh, and uh, my marriage went on, got married in 1968. So everything was in order, but you had to punt a little. Uh, Now, going back while I was teaching and virtually all through my uh, adult years, my teenage years, I worked for my father. He had an upmarket men's clothing store in New York. His clients were the football giants, the New York Yankees, and he had a very upmarket store. One night, about 10 o'clock, we're closing Thanksgiving-ish area, and in walks a gentleman, clears off one of the counters, throws down a black velvet drape, and like a magician, he wasn't doing any tricks, but like a magician, he now takes out a variety of product. And he's showing my father holiday gifts. My father always bought, and back this is, we're talking in the uh, 1968, he always spent about $5 on a gift because he was giving it out to people who spent thousands and thousands of dollars in his store. So after about an hour, my father uh, opted and selected a gift. And I watched this, and I was really enthralled by watching this peddler, and that's what I called it, present different ideas as a holiday gift that would be branded for my father. The one he bought in 1968, I still have. Most of the people who might be listening to this would have no idea what it is. But it was a leather-bound, loose-leaf telephone book. (laughs) People did write numbers in a telephone book way back when, and it was branded for my father's business. I really loved that. So here I am, a school teacher, leaving at three o'clock. My work ethic was a little different, and I wanted to do something. And my father wanted me in his business because little did I know at that time, in his mind, he had a succession plan, and he wanted me to become part of that business with him. I had no interest in men's clothing other than wearing it. (laughs) 
This peddler, as he called him, intrigued Joel, and he wanted to learn more. And when this guy walked in, what he was doing was just very appealing to me. I can't tell you why. Now, remember, I'm just out of college. I'm uh, trying to head to a career, but sales wasn't even on the radar for me at that time. Law school was. So I said to him, I said, do you mind if my father, I said, do you mind if I go visit with this man? And he said, sure, which was the right thing to say. Years later, I realized he didn't want to say that because he wanted me in the business. And I went up to Mount Vernon, New York, and sat down with uh, the man and his brother and his brother-in-law and his son, who was a family distributorship, uh, and talked to him. And he said, Joel, you can join us anytime you want. You're on straight commission. I will give you the product. I will let you go. We'd love to have you. And I did. And I joined him. And that is how I purposefully got into this business. I opted to get into this business. So it was kind of my first true job straight out of college, which is, I have to say, rare for people in this business to wanting to, to want to go into the industry on a voluntary basis. For the next three years, Joel worked as an advertising specialty salesman using the samples and catalogs given to him by the distributor along with a key piece of advice he'll never forget. And the, the one thing he did, which, is, which I will never forget, is he told me how to dress. He said, first of all, we're in the cufflink business. And he said, here are some samples, but I want you to wear two different cufflinks. He said, on this one, I want you to wear a pewter cufflink, and on this one, I want you to wear an enameled cufflink. <laughs> Why? He wanted me to wear the samples. So today, if you fast forward, it may not be cufflinks, but it would certainly be branded apparel. So I wore my, uh, he trained me to wear cufflinks. Now at that time, for those people who may be old enough, there was something called a tie tack or a tie bar. And that would hold the tie to your shirt. For those of you who remember that at one time, people wore ties and shirts to make sales calls. And there was a tie bar made by Barlow, I believe it was way back when, and it was just a tie bar, very nicely designed, where a logo could go on it or a, uh, a cloisonne emblem. But behind the tie bar, probably an inch and a half, there was a, 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 um, a, a tube that a tiny little pen would slip into. And the concept from Morris was, no matter what happens, no matter what, how many pockets you search, if you can't find your pen, this promotional product would have a writing instrument and it would always be on the other side of your tie bar. So now armed with this beautiful apparel and the paper catalogs, I set out on my own to make millions of dollars in it. He quickly learned the importance of finding a niche with a product that, well, might not be as well received today as it was back then. Uh, I quickly found some special niches, niches in the marketplace. Uh, I was the king of Playboy desk calendars. I found that my, and in, in, in 68, there was such a thing as a hairstylist. Uh, just about that time, men were changing. And you would go to a barbershop and get a razor cut. They'd put a hairnet on you. They'd spray your hair and they'd make you all pretty. Before that, there was a barber pole. You'd walk in, you walk out, and you get clipped, and that was done. So in the late 60s, everything was changing in, in, in the early 70s. So hairstylists came in. So when I went to my hairstylist and I started in this business, knowing that I had um, Playboy uh, desk calendars, which were very expensive, and I'm trying to think of who, who made it, but it really is irrelevant, 
I said to my barber, I said, you know, and it was an appointments type of place. And where I grew up, you didn't have an appointment for barber shops. You simply went to the barber. Well, here it was by appointment primarily. And I said, if you want people to remember your phone number and you want people to call you for an appointment, and obviously it's all men, and I know the times have changed, so forgive me, ladies, if you're listening. I said, then put a naked woman on the desk. And he gobbled up, I don't remember, 250 Playboy desk calendars, whatever the number was. And it was a beautiful sale. And it was my second sale. My first sale was to a guy who sold my, my wife and I carpet as we moved into our new house uh, when we just got married. And uh, the, the sales pitch there was, well, every time somebody signs a purchase order for you or a contract with you, you should give them the pen. And he did. The second sale was the Playboy desk calendar. And uh, realizing that I was successful with it, my immediate inclination was, let me go to every hairstylist type of barbershop I can find in the five boroughs of New York. And I specialized in desk calendars. I sold more Playboy desk calendars than anyone, which taught me one thing very early in life. If you concentrate on a single product, it could be toothpaste, it could be a bar of soap, and you go door to door and you pay the dues by knocking on the doors, you can make a lot of money on a single product. And I did it on Playboy desk calendars. In 1971, he moved to the supplier side with Jostens, a company still in business today that's mostly known for high school and college rings, yearbooks, and diplomas, and had just started a new division. They hired me to be in their new incentive division where they took these jewelry manufacturing, their wood, all of this, and went out to business and said to business, um, would you like to buy awards, incentives, jewelry, wood, as service awards and such? So I got the job with Jostens. And uh, in this case, I was still selling direct because Jostens was a manufacturer and I would be calling on larger corporations in New York. Well, it, 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 we didn't have a defined territory. So I worked with companies like the World Wildlife Federation. I worked with um, pharmaceutical companies. And uh, after the first year with them, and it was a very quick career, they said, would you like to move to Minnesota? We'd like you as a manager. Uh, my wife got on Librium or Valium when she said, yeah, I'll go. And we looked up in the World Almanac what Minnesota was. There's no information. Today, to take a corporate transfer, you go online, you can tour the entire city, you can see what you can eat for dinner. But back in 1971, when they offered me the opportunity to move to Minnesota, all I knew is they had grain and it was the Twin Cities. But we went out there and I became a regional sales manager and a, a product marketing director for them. Uh, and that career continued my work in this broader industry, but working for a company that manufactured and sold the same type of products we're doing today but on a direct basis. After a short stint with a trophy company that brought him back east, and an even shorter stint starting his own distributorship, Joel landed back on the supplier side of the aisle. And I went to work for the Hammond, H-A-M-M-O-N-D, map company. Another thing of the past. Some of you who are listening could remember opening up a map that kind of went from the driver's side to the passenger side because you were looking for a city or a town and you had to figure out what road to take. Well, that was the paper map business. Hammond was the second largest map manufacturer in the country following Rand McNally. And uh, I went in as uh, sales and market for sales and marketing. Uh, and stayed with them for uh, up until about 1982. 
And in 82, I left and I came. And then, by the way, Hammond was still in the premium and promotion business. We went to shows. Uh, my first show was at the Palmer House in Chicago way back. And then I was in all the Dallas shows because we would do atlases and imprint on there. And it was a tremendous promotional product. We would do little cookbooklets. So I was ensconced in the supplier side. I never left this industry. He left Hammond to join Leathersmith of London, a direct supplier of leather journals and date books that wanted to get into the promotional product space. He spent the last year of his time as president of Leathersmith working to get fired for reasons he relates. Uh, I worked one year to get fired. Uh, I could do a seminar on how to successfully get fired and uh, truly got fired because they, uh, they had a contract with me. So if they had fired me, um, no, if I had quit, I just walk away. But if they fire me without cause, then they have to pay off my contract. And that one year of salary benefits, medical, everything allowed me to start my business in 1986. And that's when I started this current business that I still have. But at that time, it was called downtime broadcasting. In 1986, as is still the case today, the top-selling products in our industry were writing instruments, bags, and drinkware. As odd as this may sound to younger generations, laptops, smartphones, and the Internet didn't exist in 1986. Thus, there was no market for technology as there is today. Joel's idea took education for distributors, paid for by suppliers, and put it on cassettes in the form of audio infomercials. The idea of information on cassettes wasn't new, but it was cutting edge for an industry that has never been at the forefront of innovation. And the product was a vision that I had had because I used to drive into Manhattan every day. And the vision was to do exactly what we're doing now, a blog, except there was no way to publish your blog and to get it to somebody. No broadcast way, no internet way. There was no internet. So I started an audio magazine called Specialty Tracks from a company that I call Downtime Broadcasting because that's exactly what we did. We broadcasted in your downtime. And it was uh, aimed at and went out to at least 5,000 promotional products at that time, ad specialty distributors coast to coast, filled with information. And I started my business on January 6, 1986, uh, one day after I got fired on purpose. Yeah, there was nobody doing this, but it wasn't a fresh idea. I, I translated it because driving into Manhattan, I would subscribe to a news track which was came out of Colorado, and it would read me all the news that me as an executive, as the leader of a company would need. And I said, geez, that could work in our industry. So uh, the concept was uh, to hire a, a male and female announcer, Flashback Friday, we'll have them, and to feed them script, feed them 72 minutes worth of script. I wrote every single blade of copy. I had clients who would write their own ads, and then I had clients who wouldn't write their own ads. Gill Studios, for example, would always write their own advertising. They were brilliant at it. But Bob Letterer knew me, trusted me, and liked my creativity. So I would write the ads for his variety of products. I knew them better than he did in certain cases. And we, we assembled a 72-minute audio cassette, and it was not done before. So we were the first one to bring audio to the industry, but not for resale, for your own consumption. 
And since we all love success stories, this is Joel's favorite from the early days of downtime broadcasting and his creation, Specialty Tracks. My best story is from Maple Ridge Farms. There was a woman on Long Island listening to this. Now, today you can listen to it because you can do it on your phone. You can bring in your podcast and hopefully people are listening to it now. But then she popped it into her dashboard. She listened to the audio cassette. She then went out and made a presentation. But before she did, she used a payphone. That's a cell phone that hangs on the wall. You have to put quarters in to make a long distance phone call. She went out and found a phone and called Maple Ridge Farms. And the end of this story is because she heard a commercial for Maple Ridge Farms as she was driving there and and Tom Reardon gave her a great idea. It turned into a $90,000 sale for her in Maple Ridge Farms. As an inventive entrepreneur, Joel has continued to innovate for the last 34 years, bringing music, corporate newsletters, and digital downloads, among other products, into an industry that has never been the vanguard for new ideas. In part two of our interview with Joel, we talk about how the industry has changed during his 53 years in it and where he sees it going after a year that brought drastic change not only to our business, but the business world in general. From all of us here at Promo Corner, thanks for listening to Profiles. I'm Steve Woodburn. Profiles was brought to you by Americana. When you need American-made, you need Americana. And with free 24-hour rush service, you'll get it fast. Americana, jar openers, coasters, mouse pads, chamois towels, and more. Thank you for listening to Profiles. Join us again as we continue to explore the lives of people who have impacted our industry.